horrible madness of war. We need to stop bombing people's homes. It's not anti-European. Stop sending arms into conflict zones. It's common sense. Millions of Europeans struggle to feed their families and heat their homes. All wars are evil and all victims deserve support. And until we get on that page, we have no credibility whatsoever. When he is going to wake up and start living in the real world? Thank you. course the weekend people bracing themselves in cities everywhere globally to come out in their millions in support of the imprisoned people in Rafa and in Gaza as people look on again in horror as Israel seems to be preparing to carry out what they've openly threatened for so long now the mass clearance of the Palestinian population off Gaza by either murdering them Uh, annihilating them or driving them out into the Sinai Desert and against that backdrop we had at last uh, the Irish government and the Spanish government sending a letter to the Commission asking for the EU-Israel Trade Association Agreement to be reviewed which is good that they're doing something but five months into a genocide sending a letter looking for a review uh, strikes me as not a whole lot to be proud of where are we at with all of this, Mick? Well, I suppose, obviously, the most striking thing at the moment, um, everyone is looking on in horror of what's happening in Rafa. Um, this is a town on the Egyptian border um, at the very south of the Gaza Strip, which um, the Israelis have gradually been pushing, 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 pushing. Uh, they're literally pushing them up against the wall. Um, and there's everyone can see that there's no such place as a safe zone in Gaza and the Israelis have made sure there's no such place as a safe zone they kept talking about them they said go here, go there uh, and you'll be safe but nowhere has been safe but I mean the truth is that if if the Israeli uh, aim is genocide which it is uh, and it's, it's ethnic cleansing, then when, why would you have uh, a safe zone for them? They don't want to have safe zones for them, right? And um, Israel's ambition seems to be to empty the Gaza Strip of Palestinians, and uh, whether it's, it's through killing them or just forced displacement, um, you certainly uh, wouldn't be creating safe zones if that was your ambition and it's very clear that uh, this is genocide, it is ethnic cleansing, total displacement and it's obviously all 100% uh, against international law. But yet we, we still see the Americans, the, the British and their allies and including the EU, they're still supporting Israel. They're, they still haven't condemned the atrocities that it that Israel has engaged in. They're still condemning the uh, attack from by Hamas on October seventh, and they haven't been able to condemn what's happened in the four months since. I mean, uh, there's no doubt about it. But for people all around the world, Western values for what they're what they're worth have been well exposed uh, for what they are and the hypocrisy uh, is stinks it does 
Yeah, and I think it's against the scale of the atrocities that people are shocked at the lack of the response from the EU. Now, it's absolutely true that the only reason this genocide is continuing is because of the active enablement by the US and the EU in arming Israel. And what we're seeing is kind of double speak happening here because we had Joseph Burrell coming out the other day and saying that it might be the time for the US to rethink sending arms to Israel, which was a bit of an understatement, but also missed the fact that European, French and Italians are sending arms to Israel as well. And Germany has increased its um, arms to Israel by about, well, they sent 300 million worth of arms, over 90% of them were sent after October the 7th. So we have an EU member state actively enabling a genocide and the Irish government have not even rebuked them or made any public statements about that. Now, can you imagine what would have happened if Victor Orban had done that? Well, Michal Martin would be demanding he would be before the International Criminal Court or something. We haven't had a word out of him. We haven't had a word of support for the South African case, even though we know that the likes of Germany have said they're going to sign up with Israel's case. Ireland hasn't even publicly said they would support the case. They said they'll look at it in six months' time. That's really not good enough. Why haven't they called an arms embargo? It's beyond belief. The figures on the German exports of arms to Israel, they've actually gone up tenfold since the 7th of October. Tenfold. Mm. They are facilitating a genocide, as are everyone else who has refused to condemn uh, the Israeli atrocities. And, you know, the amount of times that I've heard... uh, the Commission, the Council, members of the European Parliament talk about uh, Israel having shared values with us because it's presented to us that uh, Israel represents Western values in, and it, it's set in a scene where we're kind of led to believe that everything around them is barbaric. But Israel is clean and democratic and they're like us. That's why we let him into the Eurovision, even though they're not in Europe. That's why we let him into the European Championships, even though they're not in Europe. Uh, and it'll be an absolute disgrace if UEFA don't throw him out of the European Championships because they're due to play Iceland on the 21st of March in a qualifier. It will be an absolute... This, oh God, it's, it's unthinkable the idea of them fellas being allowed to play football at the moment given that the fact that not only are they an apartheid state but they're committing a genocide. But uh, So we have... Uh, the West, we, we talk about our values representing liberalism and human rights and rules-based order, democracy, rule of law, uh, versus all the others uh, who are barbaric and, and they're either brown or black. I mean, my God, racism uh, is rampant. And, uh, but the truth about it is we probably do share values with Israel because what Israel is doing, uh, and it, it, which... We've, we've been saying all along that this is a Zionist settler colonial project. It was actually started by the Europeans 75 years ago and they've been supporting it every day since. So in that sense, uh, because we're, we're uh, the former colonisers and sadly uh, we're still behaving like colonisers and our mindset is still a mindset of colonisers uh, who 
view other cultures and peoples as inferior to our own. Well, from that point of view, it looks like we do share a lot of Israel's values or so-called values. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think the US certainly does. And the US is key to this continuum. And I think this is where Ireland is really in the spotlight because, you know, while we absolutely acknowledge that Ireland hasn't been as bad as some of the other European countries, there is no solace to be taken in that when we're talking about genocide. And let's look at what Ireland has done, because in November, Michal Martin told the doll that he was quite sure at that stage that the US was doing everything it possibly could to restrain Israel. That was patently not true. In December, when he went to the European Council, when he should have been uh, raising the need for the European Council to call a ceasefire, he was talking about the EU and the US being the twin towers of democracy in the world, when he should have been slating the US for blocking the veto uh, on the ceasefire. And to send a, a letter now against that backdrop, looking for a review and not to have called an arms embargo is really too little too late. And I think people are seeing through that. I think the pressure is coming to bear on the ground, certainly in the US because of the huge mobilisations of people. And I think we are getting to a space now whereby um, some type of an arrangement for a truce or whatever will have to be envisaged. There are talks obviously going on behind the scenes for that. Um, but then the debate will move on very much as well to what happens next and what sort of a just solution will be developed for Gaza because there's certainly no going back uh, to the, the old days on that. And one of the interesting discussions that we were had this week was the whole situation of the humanitarian aid and its delivery through UNRWA, the UN agency. Now, we had representatives of UNRWA in before the Foreign Affairs Committee on Monday. Both of, of us got a chance to speak at that, but I thought that was really interesting, Mick, from the point of view of them accounting for their work um, the reaction of the politicians, the majority of wh- whom probably sided with UNRWA in fairness, um, but also the significance of this in terms of the ICJ clearly ruling that humanitarian aid could not be impeded in getting into Gaza. And that is exactly what is being done by the attacks on UNRWA. Now, you can maybe deal with why they're attacking them, the spurious grounds, but I think the legal complicity and genocide of those who block humanitarian aid is definitely in the spotlight here as well. Yeah, uh, there was a representative there from UNRWA and uh, she made the point that of the aid that had come to the borders of, uh, of the Gaza Strip, only 16% was getting in. Now, think about it. 16% of the aid is always getting in to a people that's starving and it's been blocked by Israel and the European countries have done nothing that we can see that has pressured Israel to let the aid in. So what's going on? And obviously UNRWA have been under attack since Israel made the allegation on the same day as the ICJ ruling, uh, they made the allegation that uh, at least 12 of UNRWA staff, out of a staff of 13,000, mind you, 12 out of 13,000 
It's actually a pretty small number. But the allegation was that they were involved with Hamas. And several countries, over, I think at this stage, about 15 countries have suspended funding to UNRWA. I mean, anyone suspending funding to UNRWA who are helping to feed the starving Palestinians are literally saying, we want to starve the Palestinians. Now, I made the point with her that Philippe uh, Lazzarini, the head of UNRWA, he dealt very quickly with the allegation, probably too quickly, because he actually fired the individuals involved before an investigation. So they weren't just suspended, they were fired. So uh, they abandoned the principle that you're innocent until proven guilty. So um, it it seems mad that uh, it would have been perfectly understandable that they'd be suspended. But it seems uh, very harsh that they would be fired without any evidence. And to date, and it's it's several weeks now uh, since Israel made the allegations, about three weeks, and Israel still has not come up with any evidence against the individuals involved. Now, UNRWA are investigating themselves, uh, but Israel, who said they had evidence, have failed to come up with any evidence. And yet, these people were fired without any evidence being produced. I mean, uh, it doesn't really uh, look good. I mean, I suppose, like, what they said was they were so fearful that that claim would be used to further starve and undermine the living conditions of an imprisoned population on the brink of famine, which they are. They were so terrified that their funding would be axed that they immediately got rid of these people. But I thought it was striking because a number of MEPs asked the European Commission, well, what evidence, as you said, was given? And your man said, well, the evidence was that these are very serious allegations, but it's actually true that nobody has seen any evidence anywhere. And what was very clear was, and what people may not realise, is that UNRWA isn't some sort of Red Cross or something dealing with emergency funding. This is the entire state funding of the Gaza Strip. Because Israel is the occupying power in law, Israel should be providing basic services, sanitation, lights, all of that sort of stuff. Israel doesn't do that. So... This was the international arrangement to allow basic services to get in there. So all the basic needs of, of, of the, that community are served by this. And all of the representatives, including the ones from the European Commission, were very clear that UNRWA are the only ones capable of delivering this aid and basic services. So in the absence or with any prevention of UNRWA doing it, is a license and a death sentence to all of the people trapped there. So even if it was true that 12 people were somehow involved, it's not lawful, in my opinion, to collectively punish the 1.5 million people who are stuck there in Rafa or anybody else like that. And that is what has been done. What is in my opinion, complicity now is that 10 of the countries that immediately suspended the funding are in the European Union. Straight away, stop the funding. In the meantime, they said, oh, this is uh, European taxpayers' money. We need to take responsibility for that. In return, as you said, the other aid that Israel blocked going in was EU taxpayers' money as well. They haven't asked Israel to account for them breaking that or they haven't asked them to account for all the other money that Israel has got either, like... 
Arda haven't asked Israel for the money back for all the schools and health centres that were built with EU money. Mm. They haven't even, Israel haven't even got a slap on the wrist for destroying infrastructure that was paid for by EU citizens. Mm. I mean, the, the contradictions are, are just horrific. I like. suppose, I mean, yeah, sorry. But I mean, and the truth is that uh, any country that has suspended aid to UNRWA are happy for the Palestinians to starve. They're racist. They do not care about the human rights of the Palestinians. They are facilitating the genocide that's taking place. They are. Mm. There's several countries, there's there's a political class in several countries at the moment who are playing their part in helping to make this genocide happen. And there's several European countries involved. And we still, while Joseph Burrell has been one of the better ones, and he, he has come out with some strong comments, obviously it hasn't been enough. I still haven't heard him actually condemn the atrocities that Israel are committing, the war crimes that are carrying out. I still haven't heard him say that this is a genocide because, do you know what, as I've asked a few times, if this is not a genocide, well, what is it? Because everybody knows this is genocide. Mm. It was good to see Simon Coveney called him uh, a rogue state, but I mean, Ireland has to do a hell of a lot more than we're doing. And this idea that because we're in the EU, oh, it's difficult, we're all a big EU family and there's divisions and we can only do our best. That's not true. Foreign policy is a sovereign member state responsibility and we as an independent nation could be uh, making a stand on this. We should have come in right behind South Africa, who again went back to the ICJ, given the crisis developing in Rafa, to ask the ICJ to intervene again. Next week, I think, is the ending of the period that the ICJ gave to Israel to comply or to come up with um, evidence of how it has complied with the court's order. Clearly, they're not going to be able to do that. So we see again a pressure on international law. But I think in the meantime, uh, I think it's it's very clear that there is substantial pressure developing inside the EU and across the US uh, on this. And we've got to in the over the next days and weeks to, to step up that pressure for sure. Yeah, I, I think that date is uh, for the ICJ to meet again. I think it's the 26th of February mm-hmm. from my memory. Uh, but it's just for contrast and to, to give you an idea of how bad things have got and how much they have deteriorated. Israel carried out a horrific bombing campaign in Lebanon back in the 80s. And it wasn't as bad as what's happening in Gaza now, but it was horrific. Do you know that Margaret Thatcher banned military sales from the UK to Israel for several years as a result of it? Ronald Reagan cut off funding, US funding to Israel because of what Israel did. And this time round, not only are we not cutting off funding or cutting off or banning arms sales, we're actually facilitating the Israeli war crimes. What in God's name has happened to us? And people are saying, oh God, aren't we great because we sent a letter. Like, do you know what I mean? Calling for a review, not an automatic suspension or anything like that. So look at... Um, too little, too late, for sure. Um, yeah. And it's all very, very much linked into the fact that uh, figures have just come out for 2023. Global defence spending has increased by 9% across the world to a record $2.2 trillion in 2023. $2.2 trillion spent on 
military in 2023. Now, the Americans spent 905 billion of that, China 219, the Russians 108. But uh, since 2014, NATO countries, NATO member states have increased uh, in Europe, have have increased defence spending by 32% since 2014. And we've been speaking about the crazy increase in militarization of Europe since we got here and before it in the Dáil as well. Uh, but it has just it's got worse and worse and worse. And I think the key message out of that, and it's linked to so much else that's going on in Europe at the moment, is that militarism and defence spending doesn't make you safer it makes you actually more exposed and threatened because all of this hardware, when it's bought, ends up eventually getting used. And it is the fact that defence spending has increased in the EU countries from the member states themselves by about £100 a year since we um, came in here in 2019. That's utterly scary. And I think we saw the salivating and slobbering over defence contracts very clearly when the Deputy Secretary of NATO came in before us to talk about what NATO was doing to protect the Black Sea. And I found it horrible to listen to him going on about this is a strategic gift for us. This is a good experiment where we're looking and never once did he mention the people whose blood is being spilt in these NATO games that he thinks is wonderful that all this defence expenditure is going on. And I thought it was really uh, horrible to listen to him. And all they wanted was for the war to go on. Wasn't it? I mean, it was just pathetic, really. They And when we tried to call it out and say, listen here, how can this help the people of Ukraine? The country is destroyed. You're spending all of this public money on it. I mean, we've 133 billion of public money was spent uh, in the last two years from the EU and its member states in inverted commas, supporting Ukraine financially, militarily and so on. That's nearly, that's 70% of the full EU budget in a year has been spent on Ukraine in two years. And where has it got us? Death, destruction uh, and no future for that country. The only way to make this continent more safe is to talk about peace and diplomacy and dialogue. And there's no joining of the dots because you can see that when we call for a ceasefire and negotiations for a just settlement for Palestine, The EU don't call for a ceasefire and they block it. When we call for a ceasefire and a just settlement for Ukraine, they say we're Putin puppets and that Ukraine has to fight on to regain every bit of its territory. I mean, your man was a disgrace and the MEPs were apoplectic that we pointed out that the war is not going well for Ukraine. It was almost like they were saying that we were glad about that. Of course we're not glad about that. We're anti-war all our lives. We wanted this war to end. We didn't want it to start. We want diplomatic relations with um, everybody on the continent of Europe and beyond. This arms race only benefits the military-industrial complex. Yeah. um, Your man, the Deputy Secretary of NATO, uh, he actually spoke for about 37 minutes in total. And I went through all his speeches this morning. I've actually forgotten. Uh, I I wanted to... to, uh, read out some quotes from him because they were pretty horrific. Um, but these people don't care about who's dying. And I put it to him. I said, uh, in in April 2022, uh, 
the Ukrainians now have said that there was a peace deal on the table. They were prepared, uh, themselves and the Russians were prepared to agree terms, but NATO blocked peace breaking out. And NATO said that they wanted the war to continue. And I put, I challenged them on this, right? But, uh, of course, he was trying to make out that, oh, NATO wasn't making any decisions and NATO wasn't doing this and NATO was, we're just, we're all, they're almost like a, a, an innocent bystander. But he was, when I put it to him about, I said, there's over 300,000, at least, I said, working class Ukrainian kids dead. Not to mention what Russians have died as well. I said, but I said, how come you never talk, I said, about these hundreds of thousands of working class Ukrainians that have been killed, I said. Do they not matter to you? And I said, Jen Stoltenberg, your boss, I said, the head of NATO, the last time he came into the parliament, he didn't mention the casualties either. They don't seem to matter to them because this is a US-NATO proxy war and the Ukrainians are being used to facilitate it. And the truth be told, they care as much now about these working class Ukrainians as they do about the Palestinians in Gaza. And that's the truth. Yeah, I mean, his response saying, we're not doing anything. The Ukrainians make their own independent decisions about what they want. We're only facilitating them. That is not true. Anybody who wants to go back, read every single statement from Zelensky in March, April and May of 2022. He talked all the time about negotiation and security guarantees. That's all they were interested in. Um, And that has been verified by all the lead Ukrainian negotiators and by serious sort of even US funded think tanks like the Rand Corporation um, leading person Samuel um, Sharap have, have verified that the deal was on the table. And basically what happened was the Ukrainians said, look, we don't trust Russia. We're not entering into a bilateral relationship with Russia dead right that they shouldn't. They weren't stupid there. We want a security guarantee from the international community. And there was a document on the table which gave where the international community, if you like, had Ukraine's back. And Russia were part of the signatory of it, like um, all the UN Security Council members were um, backers of it. Uh, China, France, Russia, UK, uh, US, Germany, Canada, Israel, Italy, Poland and Turkey. So all of these states were going to guarantee that. Uh, and that that was a bit like what happened in World War I with, with Belgium and that. But that's what the US wouldn't give. And that's what the U, when Boris Johnson came in, they said, we are not giving you that guarantee. So Ukraine had no choice but to fight on in that. And every time since then, they've said, oh, there can only be peace when Ukraine wins back every part of its territory. And we try to say to the MEPs, who is going to carry the guns and shoot the bullets that you're spending a billion on? Because Ukraine is running out of men and you don't seem to even care about this. This is just going on. Your man said, oh, this could go on for years. Absolutely for oh, years. At a, at a low level, but we need to get the armaments in. We need to get the production lines ramped up. And that's what this is all about. And that's what it was always ever about. And they had the neck to talk about elections in Macedonia and so on and about the threat of disinformation. And that when I said to them was... Mm, Is it disinformation, though? I mean, really, or is it not people looking at what happened 
to Ukraine being used as a proxy to fight America's war with Russia and sort of saying, well, we don't want that future. We'd like to get on with all of our neighbours. Is that why people are sceptical of NATO's agenda? It's not actually disinformation at all. But of course, he didn't want to know. And our colleagues told us that we were, again, Russian agents. Pathetic. Yeah, I mean... um NATO have boasted about the fact that since 2014, when the Americans uh, organised the, the coup and the elected president was forced out of the country, the Americans actually admitted uh, spending $5 billion uh, in the years leading up to the coup. But the NATO have boasted, Stoltenberg came before us at committee and he boasted about the fact that NATO had been training the Ukrainians since 2014. Mm. Boasted about it. And saying about how well prepared they were going to be for uh, for a long war. Now the same fella he boasted about the fact that the Russians were provoked into the war. Now Russians were completely wrong to invade. It's against the UN Charter. We've said it a hundred times. We condemned the Russian invasion from day one. But Stoltenberg came to our committee and said that the Russians, uh, if 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 to avoid an invasion of Ukraine. They wanted a neutral Ukraine and they wanted an end to NATO's eastern expansion. And Stoltenberg actually laughed and he says, well, of course, we didn't agree to that. So he was actually boasting as well about the fact that they actually provoked the Russians into it. And sadly, the Russians fell for it because they shouldn't have invaded. But uh, NATO have played a terrible part in all of this and they're still playing a terrible part in it. And they don't care how many more Ukrainians die as long as the war stays going in the effort to undermine Russia. And they couldn't give a damn about Ukraine. And for people at home who might be thinking, well, thank God we're neutral and we need to keep that. And we absolutely echo that. But they told us strongly that the EU and NATO are all part of one family. So we have to, again, not fall for this often, I suppose, double speak that our government do saying, oh, we're never going to join NATO. Of course we aren't, because in reality, defence cooperation in Europe now is becoming part and parcel with defence cooperation in NATO. But I thought it was very interesting, Mick, to look at the other headlines during the week. The doll seems to have woken up to the cost of the children's hospital again with a big 2.2 billion now after our highlighting of the um, problems with the computer system and all of that that we had, had dealt with. It's something that we've brought up in the plenary here the last few times and it was an issue that you'd obviously raised a lot when we were in the doll, as was NAMA which again, the report came out this week and I think you wanted to deal a little bit with housing too because before we wrap it up, because I think the housing problem and the economic problems, which are linked to defence expenditure, are so much linked to the discontent that's in society. There was a whole lot of different issues uh, that uh, that, haven't related uh, more directly to Ireland as well. Not that even though we we would insist that everything is connected and everything is, is... uh, is, is of concern to every Irish citizen but um, the Children's Hospital I mean it is so blatant I mean we put an awful lot of work into that and we we got the, we got a copy of the contract and we saw that the form of contract that was there was going to allow BAM absolutely rape the state of money and we, I said at the time that this would not stop at two billion, and people were laughing at me for exaggerating, right? And we, I, I, I pleaded with the politicians at the time, with the government of politicians, uh, 
that were involved in this. I said, please, please, I said, you're actually allowed to revisit the contract in a situation where there's public concern about it. It was written into the contract. You're allowed to revisit it. Please, I says, change the nature of the contract. And I says, you shall build this for half the money that is that is going to cost you otherwise. No, they didn't want to do it because they didn't want the contract to stop. So in actual fact, uh, just for appearances and uh, in, uh, for fear that there could be trouble uh, in case it wasn't uh, been under construction when the next election came around, they literally were prepared to lose a billion. Because that's what had to happen. This hospital is costing more, at least a billion more than it should. And no one has been held to account for it. Why not? You should, anyone that's interested, go back and listen to the debates and a lot of it was in the early months of 2019, before the European elections. I, I actually spoke on it 19 times from what I remember uh, on the issue over a four, about a four or five month period. And But listen to the debates that were going on at the time. It was as plain as day that this contract had to be revisited and redone. And there was a lot of people who were going to make an awful lot of money out of the fact that the contract was wrong, including the legals who set it up in the first place. Mm-hmm. who were going to get more and more money uh, the more and more the job cost. People should be held to account for the Children's Hospital. It's an absolute disgrace. But uh, NAMA report is not out yet, but we understand that it's out soon. They've contacted us uh, about an element of it. Uh, but so we, I can't talk about it yet. Uh, we'll certainly talk about that when it does come out. Uh, just before we wrap up, and there was a whole lot of other issues that we wanted to cover, but we're not going to have time now. But uh, I mentioned last week uh, about the, the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission report. Uh, it's a report that they did to the United Nations. And there's I, I just touched on some of the elements on it last week, but I, I read a bit more on it uh, during the week. And just to touch on one aspect of it, on the housing thing, which we've talked a bit of late and need to talk a bit more on as well. But it says, on housing, uh, the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission highlighted the alarming lack of progress in almost all of the recommendations that the committee made on housing in 2015, such as improving the accessibility affordability and quality of housing. This, they said, has caused and continues to cause serious deprivation for many. The IHREC reported its concerns to the UN on the chronic undersupply of housing in the market, the unprecedented levels of homelessness, the persistent issues securing the right to culturally appropriate and quality accommodation for structurally vulnerable groups and the high levels of institutionalisation in Ireland. And it said to address these concerns, it recommended that there should be a significant scaling up of supply of public and social housing to match current and future needs and also that a referendum should be held proposing the insertion of the right to housing into the constitution. Now, we all know that one housing minister after another, one government after another for the last 12 years have failed to deal with the housing crisis. None of the housing ministers have been fit for purpose. Uh, They need to take a different approach. There is not a genuine in uh, any genuine initiative by the government to really build social housing. It represents, I'd say there's no more than 10% of the housing stock in Ireland 
social where in actual fact the need is closer to 30 or 35 percent but uh this uh, this fall Fine Gael government and the greens unfortunately don't seem to want to go there it's it's it's, it's i mean people don't like us talking about neoliberalism but neoliberalism and the the, the the neoliberal nature of successive irish governments now for a number of years is causing such hardship for so many well i think as well it shows how the the narrative shifts, if you like, because we hear a huge amount of talk in here about human rights constantly, but very little about the right to housing, the right to an education, the right to a decent job, a pension, all of the things that our parents thought we definitely have, but are actually being clawed back now as our society sort of spirals into ever greater chaos. And I think for us here, the idea of putting economic rights as the central demands in terms of human rights, are really the only way forward. So on that note, I think we'll head for the hills. I know you're speaking at an anti-war meeting in La Spezia in Italy tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to Munich for a peace conference and a peace rally. There's a big Munich arms festival and we're counter demonstrating at that. So uh, a busy weekend and the people of Ireland will be on the streets of Dublin in the March um, uh in support of Palestine and indeed all across Europe on that call as well. All the best. Ciao, ciao.